Anybody else a little bit uncomfortable? <laughs> Your heart beating a little bit? Who taught that child to do that? Did her mother set her aside one day and say, Honey, this is how I want you to act in the store on me one day. This, I, I want to teach you how to throw a hissy fit. Because that's what you just witnessed. You saw a, tentra, a temper tantrum, right? A hissy fit. And some of you, sat there, and you said in your head, I'd beat that child senseless. <laughs> Some of you did. Some of you did. And, 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 and the question is, who teaches children to be like that? The fact is, parents don't teach their children how to be that way, do that. No parent is ever going to counsel a child, listen, I want you, it's about time you start throwing fits. It's about time uh, that I see some temper tantrums out of you. So let me show you how it's done. No, nobody had to teach that little girl how to act that way in public in a store. No parent is going to counsel their child. You know what? You've been too good and I don't want you to share your toys anymore. We don't teach our children these things. No dad says to his son, listen, your little sister is getting a little uppity. So I want you to push her around to show her who's boss. We don't have to do that. We don't teach our children how to lie. And I'm going to tell you why that is so. Brace yourself. Because you're bad. And I'm bad. Because people in and of ourselves are not good. We're bad. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but that's what the Bible says. And I'm tempted to have you turn to somebody and look them in the eye and say, I'm bad to the bone. Because the reality is that that's how people are. And nobody teaches a child how to throw a hissy fit. We just come out with that ability, unfortunately. It is what is residing in our hearts. And it's a little bit sad. But we, we have that. At this, and we'll look at this in a little bit more. We have it bound up within us. Let's travel all the way back to the first humans who ever lived on this earth, according to the word of God. And we'll go to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 8 through 15. Genesis 3, verses 8 through 15. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden at cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The Lord God created the world. 
in all of its splendor and all of its beauty. He made it a perfect inhabitation for human beings to not only live but to thrive. Uh, we know this um, from some of our high school stu- uh, cl- science classes. If the earth happened to be situated very much closer or very much further away from the sun, we would not be able to survive on it. But it's in a perfect place. And if the earth did not remain in its uh, orbit around the sun, we could not exist. We would be destroyed. If the planet didn't have the right elements, the right atmosphere, the right climate, and even the moon because it creates the gravity that we have or helps with that, we would not be able to exist. But the Lord created everything and he made an ideal ideal environment to sustain human beings. And after he had created all life on this planet with all of its diversity that we can enjoy from time to time and experience, he then created human beings in his own image. The first humans were provided with an ideal world. They had a paradise to live in. It was pristine. It was magnificent. And it was a wonderful setting. The Bible talks of the Garden of Eden, the place where God placed Adam and Eve. And he gave them everything they ever could have wanted, all the food they could ever eat, perfect health, great intellect. He, he gave them all kinds of wonderful perks for living on this planet, including regular visits from him, face-to-face meetings. Genesis 3 records the worst tragedy that has ever happened in human history. The humans decided one day to rebel against their creator. God gave them one command, one, and they broke the command. They sinned, and by sinning, opened the door to all of the brokenness and destruction that has accompanied sin ever since. And the world changed that day a great deal, and humans changed a great deal. And it was from that point on that human beings were born bad, and born without any remedy for uh, in and of ourselves to restore things or make things better for ourselves. Not in our strength will it ever be done. So no, we don't have to teach children how to be bad. It's an old doctrine of the church called the doctrine of depravity. And it is where we are. It is who we are now. And on our own and in our own strength, we couldn't be good if we wanted to be. We just can't. After sinning like that, the first humans became ashamed. They recognized that they were naked. They had lived for I don't know how long the Bible doesn't tell us, for a long time in complete innocence. But suddenly this knowledge comes to them that they're naked and their first instinct is to cover up and to hide. And that's what they did. That's where sin led them. They were trying to hide from God. And that was the sad reality and the tragedy of what had happened there. Something awful had happened. After all of his love and his affection, after all of his generosity, after all of the kindness, and our great heavenly father was rejected by humanity. And let me tell you something. It broke his big loving heart. I submit that at that moment, God had choices. That he had options. He could have chosen to destroy the people right on the spot. Say, you know what? You reject me. 
I'm done. And he, he could have spoken a word and it would have been over. He could have taken the world out if that's what he wanted to do. He also might have had the attitude, you made your bed, now lie in it and just leave them alone. He could have stepped away and never showed up again. And he would have said, if this is what you want, this is what you choose, good luck with it. And he could have walked away and let humanity wait for humanity's own destruction. There were options of what to do with the people. And in God's response to what they had done, he spoke of the choice that he had made regarding the people and their sin. And Genesis 3.15 quotes God as looking into the eyes of the serpent, the devil, and saying this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right here is the first mention by God in your Bibles of his plan to save people from their sins. God made a choice. And his choice was to set in motion a plan that with you will read about throughout the scriptures as it comes through. God's choice was to set in motion a plan that would restore a relationship between himself and people. And I want to ask you for this next month or so as we are approaching Easter. This is our Easter series, The Choice. I want you to let that sink in this month. My friend, God chose you. He chose you. He picked you. He deliberately chose to set in motion a plan to open a way for you to know him. He had options. He could have chosen many other ways, but instead he chose you. And I'm asking you to think about that this Easter season. I'm asking you to think what ramifications it has that God chose me, that God chose you. I'm asking you to think about that as we travel through our season for him personally, in some respects, it probably would have been a lot easier for him to just wipe it out. Just stop. Don't go through with the choice that he had made, because we're going to see as we're looking at this choice that there there was um, there was a, a real difficulty in carrying out this choice. He could have erased broken humanity and started over again or not started again. I want to remind you of something that I say to you a lot. The God of the Bible is a self-sustaining God. What I'm trying to remind you of is he does not need anything to exist because he is enough. He doesn't need oxygen like you and I need. He doesn't need to eat or drink or any of that because he's self-sustaining and Don't want to bust your bubble, but he doesn't need fellowship with me and you. He doesn't need people to exist and be complete in the being that he is. I need people around me. I need I need input from other people. God doesn't need that. He is enough to exist in and of himself as a trinity. There's plenty of fellowship in the God, the Father, God, the Son and God, the Holy Spirit. So the fact that he chose human beings to me is an astounding thing. And I want us to be looking at the choice as we're thinking about what he chose, what he decided at that moment to do and what he set in motion. It's an amazing thing. And so, as I said, he could have just walked away from humanity, but his big loving heart led him to make a painful choice for him. 
a difficult choice in setting the plan of salvation into motion. That's right. He chose to sacrifice for you. He chose to suffer on your behalf. And he chose you because he feels you're worth it. He chose the way of the cross because he longed for even a chance to have a restored relationship with you. That's what he chose. I'm going to tell you up front that I don't have the words to explain to you how big and wonderful this all is to me. God knew it all before he ever spoke it. He knew what he would have to do. He knew what it would cost. He knew it would be painful. He understood, but he still made the choice. And throughout this series, we'll witness the drive of the choice that God made and the march toward the cross. We're going to see in the Old Testament and the New that the, the, the path was chosen way back here and it never was deviated from. Nothing kept Jesus from being on the cross. It was deliberate, it was designed, and it had to be if we were to have a chance at a relationship with God. So when I say God set something in motion, it started back there when man fell. And you can see the march as you read through this book to the culminating great moment, as difficult as it is, of when Christ was crucified on the cross. And we'll see the drive of that, that choice. And we'll see how big and wonderful it is. Throughout this series, I'm going to remind you personally that God chose you. That God picked you. Here at this awful moment for human beings, the worst of our history, when we rejected and we sinned against our God, we see how God responds immediately. And I want to take a closer look at this. I want to suggest to you that God chose people. And I see it in verse 8 and 9. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord, from among, Lord God, from among the trees in, of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? It isn't difficult for us to understand that God was aware the very second that Adam and Eve failed God and, and sinned against him. He may not have been right there on the spot when the devil tempted them and they sinned and they fell, but God perceives everything that goes on this universe all the time. Amen? In fact, we will see that scriptures tell us that God knew before he created it what would happen from before creation. So the choice already had been made by God. But God perceived the moment when they fell away. And he felt that. I have no doubt in my mind that God felt the moment when Adam and Eve sinned against him. And he could have said a word and they died on the spot. He told them that if you eat of this tree and, and, and you consume this fruit, that you will surely die. And he could have made it immediate if that's what he wanted to do. As I said, he had options. He could have just never had any contact with humans again. Just never show up. But that's not what God did. He chose people. He came looking for people. Even though they were hiding, God sought them out. Can I just camp on that for a second? I'm going to tell you, I'm so grateful that God found me in my hiding place. Amen. I didn't have any concept of who God was. But God came looking for me. And he called out, where are you, Ken? 
And he helped me to understand how very much I needed him. I didn't even know until God sought me out. If you have a relationship with God, it's because God loved you enough to pick you. God found you where you were. You didn't come to him. He came to you. And I don't know about you, but even a Wesleyan can get happy about that and praise the Lord. Amen. I'm so glad that God comes looking for people. He chose people and he came off, came out trying to find and he knew where to find them. But he came out looking for him. He chose people even in their fallen condition, even in the condition that they were in after they sinned against him. He sought them out and bear in mind. Man was created when God first created human beings as perfect, sinless entity of God. Man was created as a spiritually perfect, physically perfect, intellectually immoral being. He was not created equal to God in that uh, God is all-knowing, all-powerful, unchanging, and eternal. But he was created in the image of God. And man was a rational, reasoning being. With the ability to understand things. And with the responsibility to mature in God-likeness through a daily relationship with God. God wanted this relationship to be founded in mutual love. At first, humanity was inclined to listen and to obey the Lord. But that day did come when they chose not to. But it was never forced and it never will be. It is why God will seek you out and not snatch you up and say, you're coming with me whether you want to or not. That's not how God works, is it? God wants you to come not forced. God wants you to come because you have a mutual love for him. Put this to rest with you today. Again, I'm going to remind you of something I've said before. Please put to rest whether or not God loves you. Let me help you with that. God chose you. He loves you. And he comes looking for us. And listen, sometimes that's a little uncomfortable. It was for Adam and Eve. Trust me. But I'm so glad that God went and sought them out. Amen. Even though they were hiding, God found them. Where are you? What a good question. I wonder if Adam thought to himself, yeah, where am I? And how did I get here? And I'm, I'm not going to point fingers, of course. If I did, I'd be pointing most of them at myself. But I'm sure at times in our lives, we all have been at a place where we thought to ourselves, man, where am I and how have, how have I gotten myself here? God finds him because God chose people. I'm so glad that he pushed past all of the ugliness of what had just happened. And he sought them out and he made the first move. And instead of starting again and, and letting humans be being taken out of the world, he chose the people. And through what he set in motion in his statement to Satan, he chose to make adoption possible. You see, when man, when human beings sinned against God, the father-child relationship was severed and broken. And it could not be repaired by the people. They were the ones who made a decision. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. And I don't want to be his child. And so what God had to do was make a way where it would be possible for us to be adopted. Because we choose him individually. And I'm so glad for a father who has a heart to adopt the likes of us. Amen. Good grief. 
What about us makes us attractive to a holy and wonderful God? Have you paid attention to the way you act? You're that little girl, okay? And so am I. That's what we're like when God finds us. And and I'm sure there are moments when the Father wants to spank us too. But anyway, I'm so glad that he chooses people and he sets into motion this. And, and he makes it possible for us to, to have a father-child relationship because he chose people. He made the choice on the spot to provide his divine son. The only way for us to be adopted was through Jesus Christ. And he chose to make that way. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. You'll see these verses several times in this series. I love these verses. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. What an amazing love that is. God wants to adopt people. He chooses people. And what a powerful and amazing God he is. Secondly, I suggest to you, he chose mercy. God chose mercy. The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Did you catch this? There is no mercy on the part of this man for his wife. There is no love here being expressed. He straight away went for self-preservation and he threw his wife under the bus. What's even worse to me is not only does he blame the woman and toss her under the bus, but then he has the gall to look at God and said, and you gave her to me. She did this. I'm like, holy samoli. How did God not smack him across his head? And I'm just thinking that a little bit later on when they're all finished with this encounter with God, there might have been a little issue between Adam and Eve for a while. Don't you think? And I, I, it's actually very sad as you think about it. Sorry, I'm yelling real loud and making you change the sound. Um, but but it's, it's actually very sad as you think about it because they had this wonderful marriage. And suddenly when Adam's neck is on the line, he shoves his wife out like a shield. But see, what had happened was Adam's heart had already changed. And the perfect love that he had for his wife for I don't know how long had changed and gone away. And he was a different man. And she was a different woman. And the same spirit of betrayal that Adam had, if you will, um, issued toward God was the same spirit of betrayal. Now he is throwing at his wife and God again. And again, I marvel that God didn't go (laughs) and just, you know, Eve, we're going to start again. I mean... (laughs) Holy smokes, man. I can't believe the moment and the gall of that moment when this man is saying it. There's no love. There's no mercy. He's blaming his wife. He's blaming his God. And it's crazy to me and wonderful to me that God again showed mercy to the man instead of saying, what in the, you're a total mess and I'm starting again. And again, God could have lashed out and he could have killed them, but he chose mercy. And he didn't just let them survive. And get by. Did you catch that in the scriptures? 
No, he made a way for them to still have a life that had purpose and fruitfulness to it. He still gave them purpose. And he did not totally withdraw from them. Praise God. As messed up as they were, God didn't say, that's it, I'm never talking to you anymore. He didn't totally withdraw from them. Verse 21 of this chapter tells us that he made garments and and clothed them with animal skins because they were ashamed that they were naked. And so God provides that for them. And then chapter 4 tells us that he gives them children and that God stayed attentive. God stayed active. God still loved these people. And I will tell you that this book from cover to cover reveals the actions of a God who is active and loving and is is involved and interested in people. Why? Because he chose mercy instead of destruction. Praise God we serve a merciful God. Amen. Or all of us would have been vaporized by now. I'm sorry to say that. I know some of you are sweeter than I could ever imagine. Far sweeter than I am. But you would have been vaporized too. Because that's our heart. But God was so gracious to the people. And this book tells us that. Time and time again, you'll see as you read the book, God choosing mercy over judgment. Time and time again, you'll see people not receiving what they deserve from God, but receiving instead his love and his mercy. And it happens over and over again. And probably if we had a little bit of time, I could stick a mic in your face and you could give a testimony of how God was more merciful to you. You than you deserve. He's a merciful God, isn't he? Amen. Praise the Lord for that. I'm so grateful. I love this verse in Micah chapter 7, verse 18. It's an obscure book and an obscure verse, but I love this verse. Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. Whoo! Praise the Lord. I, I, for one, need all the mercy God has. I'm just being truthful with you. God is a merciful God, and I'm so grateful. It is in his character to choose mercy. I've not received the just penalty for my sins because God chose mercy. And he gave my punishment to somebody else because he made a choice. And on that day... When he spoke to Satan, he chose mercy instead of what we deserve. And I praise the Lord. He knew when he said what he said to Satan back there in uh, Genesis 3, that his son would thousands of years later be hanging on a cross. God chose mercy. I'm glad that Jesus was willing, by the way, to go there. And he chose the cross. He chose the cross. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, God said, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Right there is Jesus Christ. Not the first time Jesus shows up in your Bibles, because Jesus was there at the very moment of let us create man in our image, and when God created the heavens and the earth, there's Jesus there, and the Holy Spirit is there. But right here is Jesus Christ, the Savior. This is Jesus, the Redeemer. This is Jesus who will go to the cross for us. Right here in Genesis 3.15, there's the cross. And there's the resurrection. And God made that choice long ago. The statement of the serpent striking the heel of the woman's offspring, striking his heel, 
is the statement of the cross. It's the moment when Jesus hung on a cross and suffered and died. That's what that is about. That is when Satan struck his heel. And the statement of when Jesus crushes his head is the resurrection from the dead. And Satan is, is crushed because of what God has provided. And I thank the Lord for the resurrection today. The devil succeeded in getting people to reject their God. And thereby killed the original relationship that people once enjoyed. The serpent led humanity to lose our innocence. The serpent introduced the devastating results of sin to humanity. But his head has been crushed. Praise the Lord. He's, the enemy is still working in the world and still destroying people. But one day he will be utterly destroyed and shut out. And it will be over for all eternity. He's done. All because God made a choice. And God chose us over anything else. I used to sing a song that reminds us that God grew the tree that he knew would be made to used to make the old rugged cross. God put a plan in motion. God made a choice way back there. And the cross was part of that choice. And let me say this to you. I believe with all of my heart, it was the hardest choice that God could have made. But the issue is there was no other way. Do you honestly think that God would send his perfect holy son to the cross if there had been another cup for Jesus to drink? I don't. I think he made this choice because there had to be that kind of sacrifice. And I believe it was the hardest thing that God could have done for humanity. And I believe he made the choice knowing everything, every nuance of it, everything that would happen. That choice led Jesus to being punished for our sins. That choice caused him to endure what he would endure. Jesus went through more on that cross, physically speaking, than we probably could ever imagine. I marvel at the physical strength of Jesus during the week of his passion and the things that he endured. It was unspeakable. But there was something worse that happened there. And I'll take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21 to remind you of it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I can't even tell you how awful that was for Jesus because I don't know. But one day because of what I did and because I'm like that little girl. Because at my core, I'm bad. One day, he who had no sin in his life hung on a cross. And I don't know how this is done. I, I don't even know. And I'm just going to be transparent. I've studied theology for a long time. But I can't wrap my mind around how Jesus became the thing that God hates the most. He hung there on the cross and he became that he became my ugly attitudes he became my ugly actions and my stupid words he became my selfishness and Jesus became the lies that came out of my mouth and Jesus became all of the horrible awful things that dwelled in my heart he became that and he took on himself the punishment for all that he became. 
And it's my fault. It's because of what's inside of me. And I can't hardly get my mind around the fact that when God looked at humanity after they fell, he saw all that and he still chose us. I can't get my mind around the fact that a God can love so much that he would say, you know what? This is going to cost my son. But they're worth it. Humanity is worth it. And it's rather mind-boggling to me that God knew at that moment when he made that choice that in spite of all that he did again through the cross, most of humanity will reject him. Have you thought about that? Most people will not receive Christ. Most people will not put their trust in Christ. And they won't accept from the Lord. Or they'll rebel. They'll just go away. And they'll stay in their sin. And most of humanity, according to the Word of God, most of humanity, whoever walks this planet, will end up dying in their sins. But because there were some of us who would believe, because there were some who would embrace this choice, this second chance for humanity, because some of us see the heart of a God who would do that, and He wants a relationship with as many of us as He can get. He made the choice, and He let Jesus march inexorably to the cross. And I think about that, and my mind can hardly contain it. That's what God did. That's the choice that we'll be looking at for Easter. We're going to think about every... We're going to see. We're going to see it showing up in the Word of God when God said, still still headed this way, still going to do this, still going to complete and confirm my love for people. My question for us today is, have we considered this for a little while? Have we thought about it? Have we? Has it been a while since we understood that this is what it was? This is what it costs. This is how big it is. Listen, if you aren't right with God today, I want you to know God chose you. And he longs for a good relationship with you. He wants you to put your trust in his son, Jesus Christ. And to say, oh, Lord, God, everything you did was so that I could have an opportunity to be adopted and belong to you. You want to make me yours. If you're not right with God, come to Christ. Please accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior right here, right here today. Let this be your first day of new life with Jesus Christ. Let it happen. And if you're, if you are a believer, I want you to enter this Easter season, I hope, with some gratitude. <laughs> I hope that you will think about this and say, man, what God did was enormous. What he did was bigger than I ever dreamed. And with gratitude, you would worship your God and serve him. And let that kind of guide your heart as you endeavor to live in this world. And start telling people about him. And start inviting people to church. Do that, okay?